Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. Stand with me. Let's read together in Luke chapter 19. Uh, We'll take a little pause from Acts for today, Palm Sunday, uh, and next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and then we'll move back into the book of Acts the Sunday after uh, Easter. This is a triumphal entry. Jesus had just uh, shared a parable prior to uh, our uh, text, the parable of the minas or the money and how money was used. And that is connected uh, to this passage. We won't have time to go into that today, but I'd encourage you again in your study to go back and kind of read these things in their context and allow the Lord to speak to you. But we're going to pick it up at verse 28. After Jesus had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to uh, Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent were, went away and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and him you in on every side and they will level you to the ground on your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy upon our life. And we thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to read your word, to think about your word, to pray about your word, to hear your word uh, preached to us, Lord. I pray that we would not take it for granted, but they would stand firmly in the convictions, Lord, that it uh, speaks to us. I pray, God for your Holy Spirit to move in our midst this morning, that you would be present, guiding and leading us, Lord, for your glory. And we thank you, God, for these things. We welcome you here. Speak to us today through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we 
jump in here, uh, just a, a word to note on your calendars on April the 18th at 6 p.m. I uh, really encourage you to be here for uh, a congregational meeting that we'll have together to share uh, about the church, the future of the church, uh, some of the things that are necessary for us to pray about together uh, on Sunday evening, April the 18th. Um, so just mark that and uh, plan to be here that Sunday night as we talk about uh, God's future that he has for us as a congregation. I just uh, would, would like for you to be here that evening. So this uh, passage, again, probably right at about verse uh, 28 in your Bible, it will have a heading there if your Bible has uh, headings, and it will say the triumphal entry. And that really is uh, a, you know, a bit of a misnomer in some ways because uh, what, what humans would see in terms of uh, the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem, there would be others who would see this really as an, an abysmal failure. Uh, what is going to happen in uh, the week ahead? Uh, back in Luke 9 and 51, the Bible says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. There was no turning back at that point, no change of agenda, no different way. Uh, this had to be fulfilled, and Christ was a central figure of the plan, and he was faithful until the very end. About 33 years of his life was here in the next week going to come to a conclusion. And again, as the world would look at it, as the world would look in and kind of uh, look at the life of this guy who had come and taught about the kingdom, had gathered some disciples, was now on a, a cult, sort of heading up and riding into Jerusalem, what they would conclude by the end of this week is that what he had stood for, what he had taught, what he had said about himself was simply a failure. But many others would see this, hopefully you and I included, as a glorious uh, starting point in our salvation. Most of the Jews who were in uh, the time period in which Jesus lived were of the previous category. They saw him as a, a failure. They didn't want to believe in him. They could not get rid of him fast enough. He had upset their traditions. He had upset their power. He had upset their livelihood. And Jesus had visited them. Jesus had come in proximity to them, and they failed to recognize the reason for his visitation. In the text, what we see is that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, the essentially the capital of the Jewish people. He weeps over Jerusalem because they had failed to see him as a deliverer from their spiritual bondage. Jesus knew about the Romans. He knew that uh, what Rome was bringing upon the Jews. It was scary. Yes, it was painful. It was real, but it wasn't as real as the bondage of the soul that they needed deliverance from. It wasn't as real as those who were slipping into eternity who would fall into hell separated from God and condemned forever. The fate of all those who reject Jesus as Lord. And the reason they failed to see Jesus was they be, had put their hope in their own works, their own abilities, and their misinterpretation of God's plan. And so the question comes to us, will we 
recognize the day of our visitation. Well, you and I recognize the day of our visitation. When the Lord visits us, when the Lord comes to us, when the Lord speaks to us about what he is calling us to do. There were some there on that day who did recognize the day of Jesus' visitation. Verse 37 says that it was the crowd of the disciples that recognized Jesus. They praised God joyfully with a loud voice because they had seen all the miracles that he had done. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Where do those words resonate in your ears from in the gospel of Luke? They take us all the way back to the very birth of Jesus and the angels proclaiming in heaven to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. And now it's people who have caught on to what the shepherds heard some 33 years ago, proclaiming glory to God in the highest. They're proclaiming it in the streets of Jerusalem. Matthew records this same scene, and he uses the term that they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. From Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, a psalm of ascents. It was sung as a welcome to pilgrims who were coming in to Jerusalem. But as they were proclaiming Hosanna to the son of David, I wonder, did it resonate in their mind what even the word Hosanna meant, which in its original meant, save us. Help. Save us, O son of God. Help us, O son of God. We sing it today in the songs even that we sang this morning. Hosanna, Hosanna. We sing it, but do we realize what we're singing? We're proclaiming to the Lord our mouths, our lips are forming the words, save us. Save us, O Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus was coming to do. He was coming to save them, not from Rome, but from his wrath. He wasn't coming to save them from Rome who was brutal and ugly and it was real at their time. There were people who were suffering and, and all of, the, uh, all of the, the, the connotations of the word suffering. There were people who were suffering under Rome, but that wasn't why Jesus came. There was a greater suffering that was going on. There was a greater wretchedness in the soul that was happening. And as that was, people were in opposition to God and God's wrath was coming upon the earth. And there had to be a righteous sacrifice. And as the people were proclaiming, Hosanna, save us, save us, help us, help us. Jesus was coming to do just that. To save and to help. Not everyone misses the day of their visitation. Some are ready and looking. We go back in the book of Genesis. We see Abraham, who is the father of the Israelite nation. He recognized the day of his visitation. In chapter 15, his name at that time was Abram, and he had a vision, and it was this glorious vision that was dreadful at the same time. And in the vision, God promised Abram an heir that would give him this innumerable offspring. But the vision didn't stop there. God made a covenant with him to give his offspring this land, 
Canaan land, as it is referred to, or the promised land, and even beyond that area. That is why even as believers today, there is a connection to the Jewish people and the land that they actually live on in the nation of Israel. It's a promised land to that ethnic people group. He shared with Abram how the Israelites would be sojourners and they would be afflicted by the Egyptians. And as so many of us do when God gives us a promise, Abram waited for the promise to be fulfilled, but he decided to take matters into his own hands. How often have we done that? God speaks to us something and we get anxious in our waiting and we seek to take matters into our own hands. And he went to his wife's maid, Hagar, and they had a son whose name was Ishmael. And Ishmael was not the promised heir, but he became a great nation as well. And his descendants today are known as the Arabs. And as Ishmael would later provoke his brother Isaac, so too do the Arabs provoke the Israelites today. Your sins today can have a huge impact on your family tomorrow. Ishmael was not the promised heir, but in chapter 17, God once again established his covenant with Abraham. This time, Abram was 99 years old, and instead of a vision, the Lord appeared to him in a physical form. Many people believe that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. At the visitation of the Lord, Abram fell on his face as an act of worship and was obedient to what the Lord had commanded him to do. God instituted the covenant of circumcision, and the scriptures say that as soon as the Lord finished visiting with Abram, who now he changed his name to Abraham, that Abraham immediately circumcised all the males in his house as an act of obedience to the Lord. Abraham was prepared for the day of his visitation. He responded in worship and obedience. The disobedience with Hagar and subsequent birth of Ishmael was in the past. He was now Abraham, father of many. You see, the beauty, I think, that this story speaks to us is that our past disobedience or our past sinfulness does not discourage a future visitation from the Lord. Don't let the things in your past speak to you that God can never use you for his glory. Confess the past, be forgiven of the past, but look to the Lord's visitation so that you will respond on that day with worship and obedience in the same way that Abraham responded with worship and obedience. Oftentimes what I see is people say, I've done too much and God can never use me. When you read the story of Abraham, what you see is a guy who fought and faltered all the time. He lied about his wife. He uh, had, had ungodly relations with his wife's maid. He did all of these things, and yet God says, I'm going to choose you and make you a great nation. Interesting, isn't it? And with you and I, a lot of times what the enemy wants to do is play the tape recorder in our mind of all the past failures that we have experienced, that we've done, many of our own volition, of our own will, and we think God can never use me again because of what has happened in the past. And God wants to say to you today, do not discount the day of your visitation based on what has happened in the past. What you must do when the Lord comes and visits is respond with worship 
and obedience. Another instance in the Old Testament of the Lord's visitation was with the high priest whose name was Joshua. Well, this Joshua was different from the uh, apprentice of uh, Moses, a different person here. But he also recognized the day of his visitation. The book of Zechariah, chapter 3, a vision is recorded of a dialogue between the Lord and Satan regarding the high priest Joshua. This Joshua is one of the exiles. So when God had judged uh, Jerusalem and they were carried away into the Babylonian captivity, this high priest Joshua was one of the first to come back to Jerusalem after the time of captivity. And in Zechariah chapter 3, the word of the Lord says, Then he, the Lord, showed me, Zechariah writing here, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of uh, the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Well, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. Now, get the picture of what's going on here. You have the high priest who was to be ministering, kind of the mediator between the Jewish people and God. This, this mediator who was supposed to be pure and holy is clothed in these filthy garments, symbolizing the sins of the people, his own sins, the sins of the people around him, clothed in filthy garments, and they talk about him as if he were a firebrand plucked from the fire. Now, uh, last night at the conclusion of uh, the time together with, uh, with the youth down in Scottsville, there was a bonfire where they were able to roast some marshmallows and do some s'mores and things of that nature. Now, today, if I were to go back after the rain to that fire pit, and I were to pull one of the pieces of wood out of that fire pit that was in the fire, it would be uh, dark, it would be dirty, it would be black because it had been kind of burned and charcoal, charcoal looking. And is there any way that I can ever get it back to look like an unburnt stick again? That's an impossibility. There's no way that I could take that stick or take that log and try to make it into what it once was. It had been burned irreparably. That's Joshua and Satan accusing him. This is damaged goods, Jesus. Never to be fit for use again. Never to be utilized for kingdom good again. God Look at this guy who is supposed to be a priest, clothed in filthy garments. And what is the Lord's words? Rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. And the Lord says, and only the Lord can do this, to those who are standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. You can't remove your filthy garments yourself. You can't take them off yourself. You can't get rid of your sin yourself. It has to be an act of God on your behalf. 
And he said to him, see, I've taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. I'm taking off your dirty garments that you're ashamed in. I'm taking off your dirty garments that are not fit for the priesthood. And I'm not only putting on clean garments upon you. I'm putting on you the garments of rejoicing, the festal robes. And then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by while Jesus was looking on. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts and I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. In other words, Joshua, I've given you everything you need to do in order to perform the task and calling that I have for you if you will be faithful. He recognized the day of his visitation. The Lord Jesus alone, by his death on Calvary, has the power to exchange your filthy clothes and my filthy clothes for festal robes. Our rejoicing is because of the grace of God to change us and to cleanse us. Because God is faithful and in this instance, because Joshua was willing, Joshua had access to overcome the accusations of Satan against him. When the Lord visits you and visits me, will we recognize the day of our visitation? There were some there on that first Palm Sunday. Those disciples who recognized the day of their visitation, they proclaimed, save us, save us. But there were others in the crowd. The scripture says that there were Pharisees who were in the crowd. And they did not recognize the day of their visitation. They were hearing people proclaim Hosanna, but they were not shouting. In fact, they told Jesus to rebuke his disciples because they were proclaiming him to be the Messiah. Jesus stopped them from doing what they're doing. This is against the law. This borders on blasphemy. Jesus stopped them from proclaiming you as the Messiah. And Jesus says, if these disciples become silent, the stones will cry out. This time of Jesus' visitation to Jerusalem had to be proclaimed. If the disciples were to cease their praise, the natural world would have burst forth in praise. There was no stopping the exaltation of Christ as the Messiah on this day. You know, we should never look at someone who is joyful and rejoicing in the Lord, who is boisterous in their praise, and look at them askance like something is wrong. We should rejoice because those who have been forgiven much love much. And sometimes people's praise is a little louder than ours because they have been forgiven us so much and they want to exalt in his presence. But there's always those in the crowd who want to sit back and look and say, stop this mess. The Pharisees, they would not accept the way that Jesus came. Jesus reached out to sinners. A friend, the Bible says, of publicans and sinners. Tax collectors. Who wants to be a friend of a tax collector? 
sinners. People who you look at and you think they don't have it together. They can't possibly comprehend what's going on. The downcast, the downtrodden. The Pharisees missed the day of their visitation. Those who are in the crowd. Remember, in the crowd. In the midst of people proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, lead us, Messiah. In the midst of those praising were those mixed in. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You get the picture? Do I need to explain more? So those in the crowd, we have to examine our life that we don't miss the time of God's visitation. But there were others who missed the day of their visitation as well. Jesus came to Jerusalem and he wept over it, the scripture said. And inside the city walls, as Jesus was on the donkey on the outside, there were people who were on the inside. They were making business deals. They were preparing the food for dinner. They were buying in the marketplace. They were engaging in commerce. They were having conversations to one another, oblivious that on the other side, there was this guy who was riding on a donkey that people were proclaiming Hosanna to. There were people inside who were just going about their daily business, going about their thing, doing what they thought they needed to do, totally oblivious to the fact that there was somebody coming in on a donkey who was the fulfillment of all the prophetic words that had come before. Oblivious doing their thing. They weren't hostile to Jesus. They didn't care that he was coming in. People came in Jerusalem every day. Maybe he'll come to my merchant place and buy some of my trinkets and help me put food on the table later on. Maybe Jesus will help me in this way or that way. They weren't hostile to him. They were just disinterested. I've got more important things to do. I've got to feed a family. I've got to uh, memorize this out of the Torah. I've got to go to this thing or go to that thing. And I've just got time that I've got to do all these other things. I've heard about Jesus. I've got things to manage. I've got work to take care of. I just have other things on my mind right now. And in our day, there are people who know Jesus and reject him outright, but then there are others who've heard about Jesus and don't really care. They don't really care. That's why we have to proclaim it, share it, speak it, preach it, talk about it, say that there is a Savior in the midst of all the work that you're doing in the midst of all the things that are going on. We have to pray that God will direct us to the people that he is working in their life right now that we can share the message of hope. There are people in Charlottesville today that God is working in their life. God is revealing to them their sinfulness and you and I must move beyond this place to share the message of hope. When Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem, he prophesied about a coming siege that will lay the city to waste. It will be ruthless and detestable. And after Jesus' death in A.D. 70, this prophecy comes to pass. Titus, the son of the Roman emperor Vespasian, he led a march on Jerusalem. 
The zealots in Jerusalem, Jews who wanted their autonomy as a nation, they defended the city, but the power of Rome was too great for them. A battle that lasted from May until September claimed 1.1 million people, and the Roman army so detested the Jews that when their, uh, when their superiors gave them orders to stop the siege of the city, they wouldn't stop, and they continued burning, and they burned the temple and its related complex to the ground. Battle came to pass as the Lord Jesus had said. They cut off supplies to the city and the Romans waited for the Jews to crack. Yet secretly the Jews brought in supplies through underground tunnels and when the Romans found this out, they built a wall around the city just as Jesus foretold in Luke 19 and 43. And they built battering rams to overcome the city walls, eventually breaking through and butchering with the sword everyone they came in contact with. A flaming stick sent the temple ablaze. A stick that was shot into the temple, sent it ablaze. And not one stone was left upon another because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. And so the question comes to you and I once again. Will we recognize the time of our visitation? Pastorally, I can speak this message to you and I can share and say to you that you know, you personally recognize the time of your visitation. God is coming. God is moving in our midst right now. But even as I look at our collective nature as a church, what I want to say to you is God is doing something in this church right now. And what I must say to us is will we recognize the day of our visitation? Will we recognize the day of our visitation and humble ourselves before the Lord and seek his face and ask him to move as he wills and be obedient to however he calls us to worship him and to be obedient to him? That's our calling as a people. And it's not just us that God is moving upon, but this is the place where I'm most familiar. But when I hear other people talk about moves of God and God stirring and God doing things, what I see in the future is what Jesus saw in the future, and that was the destruction of Jerusalem and the whole way of Jewish life was coming. And Jesus says, I'm visiting you now. Come to me now because the future is going to be difficult and challenging. And what I say to you when I see the world around us is come to Jesus now. Invest yourself in him now. Humble yourself before him now because what we see in the future is it's going to be a challenging time. The world events speak to us about this, but also the internal events in this church speak to us about this. How do I know? Because when I talk to some of these seasoned brethren and others of you in the congregation, and we talk about the next, what we would consider the next generation coming up, what we're agreed in is God is doing something. The Bible talks about in the book of Genesis, uh, the, 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 the picture there is uh, when God begins this creative work in the book of Genesis. When it said the spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep, that word 
word there is like a, a brooding of a hen over her chicks. That the spirit of the Lord is brooding in our midst. And that is what these brothers and I are beginning to see in this next generation. The Lord is brooding because they are going to face things that maybe we have not had to face, those of us who are older. And so what our task is in our role of ministry is to see what God is doing and equip and prepare and be faithful. Because a time is coming when we won't have the freedoms and opportunities that we have right now. And so we have to take it seriously and recognize the time of our visitation. Will you stand with me as we pray together? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning with a humble heart recognizing that you are sovereign, Lord, that you are gracious and merciful. God, that there is no one here who is beyond your reach. And Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, God, that if there's anyone who is standing in this sanctuary uh, today, oh God, whose past sins, past faults, past failures, Lord, continues to be thrown up in their mind, I, Lord, proclaim to them now the word of the Lord, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have come in to relationship with the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, if you have named him as your Lord and Savior, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is able to forgive you of your sins, there is therefore now no condemnation to you. God will use you. God will call you. God will give you a work in his kingdom to do. Recognize today the time of your visitation. Recognize today that the Holy Spirit is calling you to not continually shrink back, to not continually step to the side, but today is the opportunity for you to step forward in him, to recognize his grace, to recognize his mercy, to recognize his forgiveness is once and for all, and that he has a plan for you. Maybe you say this morning, I know I've been forgiven. I know that any time that I have any kind of condemnation or guilt, it is from the enemy, and I stand firm upon God's word. And when that comes, I proclaim that is not from the Lord, that that is from the enemy, and I will not believe it. I will not receive it. I will not apply it to my life, and I'm hungry for God. I want to be present when he visits me. I want to recognize the day of his visitation in my life, and I want to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is you, this morning you're in relationship with the Lord you stand firm upon the conviction that the grace of God is great enough to forgive you of your greatest sin you believe that you receive it in your heart I believe the Lord would speak to you today that this is not the time to get comfortable. But this is the time to run. Oh, I was thinking during the last session yesterday as Brother Johan was sharing and 
something came up about his age and he said, I'm 71. And I thought, praise the Lord, he said it. Because what I want is my son to see a man who is still running as hard as he can at age 71. A man who isn't afraid to stand in front of a group of teenagers and say, God has a calling and you've got to follow after the calling. God, I don't want to sit back. I don't want our church to sit back, but I want us to recognize the day of our visitation. Recognize your presence. Recognize that you're here and you're doing something special. Not just here, but other places too. But here. I don't want to be in the crowd stepping back and folding my arms and saying, Jesus, stop that mess. I just want to go back to church as normal. I want to be with the loud crowd whose voice are saying, Hosanna, 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 save me, save me. Help me, Lord Jesus, to fulfill this call. Help me, Lord Jesus, to fulfill this plan. Help. Oh, that's what the triumphal entry is about. That's what the triumphal entry is about. It's God's people recognizing what God is doing. God's people recognizing God's presence. God's people submitting themselves in the beauty of holiness to His presence that is working in them. And people saying, we have not crossed this way before. Oh, I've learned a lot in the past. I've studied a lot. I've read a lot of books. I've understood a lot of things, but I have not crossed this way before. Help us, Lord. Where you are this morning, I would ask that you would sing. If you want to come to the altar, I invite you to come to the altar. This is a beautiful place to meet the Lord. It's so wonderful through the week to come in. And there are those who come in and out throughout the week and they'll make this a place of prayer. We sanctify this area as a place of prayer. And you're welcome to come this morning to pray and to seek the Lord. But I would like us to just take the next few minutes. And that in unity, we cry out to the Lord that we would recognize the day of his visitation that we would worship him and that we would be obedient to him, that we would walk faithfully before him and step into our calling no matter the cost. As they lead us in song, will you keep a spirit of prayer asking the Lord to help us today? Maybe even proclaiming to him the words, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.